This is CouncilCast, part of the Legal Talk Network, and I'm your host, Karen Conroy. When you face a complex case outside your expertise, you bring in a co-counsel for next-level results. When you want to engage, expand, and elevate your firm, you bring in a marketing co-counsel. In this podcast, I bring in marketing experts who each answer one big question to help your firm achieve more. Here's today's guest. Hey, I'm Veronica Romney, and I'm a Dream Team architect, and I'm super excited to be here to talk all things Dream Teams, and I think today we're going to talk about marketing teams in particular, building them, structuring them, retaining them, training them. Everything that you need to get your business out there is the job of marketing, and we're going to talk about that. And when I'm not talking about marketing and Dream Teams and leaders, I'm also a mom living in the outskirts of Raleigh, North Carolina with my two man cubs. So my life is busy Let's talk about your life. Awesome. You have such a great background for this also, um, where you've had all these different experiences in major companies. So we know you've got the expertise. We know you've got the the experience. And I know this is going to be a great conversation because I feel like this is not something a lot of people talk about. They kind of cover this idea thinking... It should just be inherently understood or they should just do the hiring and that should take care of itself and people should just kind of figure it out. So we're here to talk about why that's not the way it works. <laughs> no, it's also like when you have a baby at the hospital yes. and, they, and then you put your baby in the car seat, the nurse comes by and goes, yep, looks good. It's time for you to leave. I'm like, wait a minute. That's it? That's the only requirement of success that you're letting me leave this hospital with an extra human being in my vehicle? Yep, that's it. Get out. Go figure it out. And I feel like that's how it is for a lot of entrepreneurs, especially if you didn't come up in an entrepreneurial or corporate environment or even the military. Like if there wasn't a model before you, you feel very like, I am not qualified to raise other human beings, AK employees or team members in the yes, company. Yes, absolutely. That's such a good point. And I feel like that's a great analogy as well. Like um, you just kind of land in this role. And it's one thing when you start out your company and you're doing everything yourself because you only have yourself yeah. to blame. But then once you start <laughs> expanding out and you've got these team members and you expect them to kind of get inside your head, it's a whole other you know, kind of set of skills to know how to convert that that information into to your team. Yeah. So today's big question is how do you build a dream marketing team? So I know you talk a lot about just dream teams in general, but we're going to focus in on marketing so that we make it especially especially good and, and valuable for, um, you know, the stuff that we're typically talking about. So where do you start? How do you like with with marketing? What's the first what's the first hire you think you should make when it comes to marketing? Oh, goodness. There's I mean, there's so many things. Well, because I think if you think about a marketing department and I think about the business that it's serving of all of the aspirations to like have a bunch of money in the bank, financial freedom, majority of the to-do list on the entrepreneur's shoulder or the business owner's shoulders is usually marketing yes. wants. I want to be on TikTok. I want to be on social media. I want to do this. I want to do that. Because when you, you and I are walking recipients of great marketing, so we see a really killer Super Bowl commercial or we go to a big work conference, like, man, they did this like wrap around the car with like, I want like, so we're walking around seeing marketing executed really, really well. And then we want to do that for our companies to be legit and to have the authority or to appear to have the authority and legitimacy. And then executing it is where it all falls apart. 
And I want to go back to kind of what you were saying about, you know, when it's, when you're starting out and it's just you yourself and I, and you're doing all the things you don't really have to pause to tell anybody what the measurement of success looks like because you're just doing it intuitively. As soon as you bring somebody into the equation, I think the singular, the hardest thing that people have to do in making that mental shift is you have to realize very quickly you're responsible to define success for someone else. And that's no longer intuitive. You have to put it on paper. You have to verbalize it. And that's where things go awry real fast. Like I can't just tell my kid to go make his bed. I have to show him, honey, this is how you make your bed. You don't, you don't put your dirty socks in it. Like, no, 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 honey, that's not how you clean your room. But it's the same thing with other human beings. They don't, they're not mind readers. And I think that we do them a massive disservice when we assume way too much. Yeah. I think that's such a good point because even when you're doing it yourself, you're allowing for a lot of failure because it's, it's your, it's, it's all on you. And so it's like, well, you know, and it wasn't maybe a failure. It was, I tried that and I realized it wasn't right, or it just didn't work out the way I wanted to, or this was the mistake I made or whatever, but it's not thought about in the same way as if it was somebody that you hired that did that Mm -hmm. same mistake. So, you know, it's just, it's all internal and you're not necessarily processing it as much. Well, yeah. And it's very intuitive. Like you're just, and, and also you don't know what you like until somebody, until you're confronted with a moment to say, Oh, I like this or I don't like this. So that's also a thing uh, too. Like when you bring other people to the party, especially let's talk about marketers in particular, marketers are smart creatives. They're also part visionaries themselves as they should be. But you too, if you're the founder of your business, you're the visionary as well. So sometimes what I see happen is there's like, it's like this really subconscious like tension that you start to feel where the two visionaries start to compete, where the like the, the OG, the original founder and visionary starts to compete with these marketers that have ideas that they like, what? There's an idea beyond my own. Yes. And, and now it kind of feels like a little bit competitive and you're like, uh-oh. And all that you're debating is subjectivity. All you're debating is like, I like this design better than this design. Like how do you, who wins in those right. battles? Those are things that are really specific nuances and problems that are arise out of building a marketing department, unlike a customer service department, a finance department, that doesn't happen nearly as much. Yeah, I've had that experience in in my previous corporate marketing work a lot, where mm. people feel like uh, when I was working with different departments, those department heads felt like they should have possession and ownership of all the right ideas as opposed to the marketing person. And, and you just, you know, you were describing it in a much friendlier way, <laughs> where it was kind of this sort of kind of push and pull, but it was really butting heads with certain, with certain interactions, not always, but a lot of times, this who came up with the idea was this overriding idea, as compared to like, what, what's the result? And how's it going to be successful? And that just got in the way of everything. Oh, yeah. When you sprinkle ego on yes. anything, it gets real spicy, exactly. real fast. Yeah. Well, and I think coming back to your point about starting with the results, that's how you remove the mm-hmm. ego from it. Because you just start to look at, okay, why don't we try? You know, there's this yeah. fancy marketing term called A-B testing, which basically just means we're going to just try a bunch of things. And then let's... but then let's measure them so that we can say which was the right idea, A or B. And it doesn't matter who came up with A or B, just go with which one had the best results. Yeah, I think about even the the practice of doing a brand guideline or like a brand book. Just that alone is adding 
objectivity to subjectivity. So like to say, this is the proper use of our font, our logo. These are like, these are the colors that we're going with. Just even going that far isn't like, well, I like this red versus this red. Yeah. Right. So like in a, in a really successful marketing department, you're trying desperately to add some rules and something that I normally say is like employees feel really safe when they know the bounds of their playground. Yes. Just like children do too. Like my kids feel safe when they see me, even if they're 20 feet from me. But you as a leader have to put the walls on the playground of your company. And that's when your employees can have the most fun if they at least know the limitations. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that was a parenting thing I learned as well, where it's like, they actually do feel more safe when if they're standing up on that ledge and you're telling them, no, let's not do that. They know that you're like kind of watching out, even though they kind of really would like to jump off of that (laughs) and break their neck. Their brains are not fully, you know, their brains are not fully formed. So we need to kind of step in from time to time. But I wanted to come back. You were talking about this visionary idea. So you've got a visionary that's, you know, the founder of your firm or the company or whoever, and then a marketing person whose brain is often positioned as a visionary as well. And that doesn't necessarily, and it's not just because of the idea thing, but because of the way visionaries think, that doesn't necessarily work really well. It it works well until it doesn't work well, (laughs) right? right? So, so it's funny because I feel like if you're the leader, if you're the owner of this company, gosh, you desperately, like desperately want to not be the only person that stresses about making money for the company. Yes. That's so heavy. Yeah. All right. So that's your truest desire. I don't want to have to do this alone. I don't want to be the single source of all decisions to be made. Like it's a freaking exhausted. I'm exhausted. I have enormous decision fatigue, like make it yeah. stop. Okay. So I'm going to invite another personality who's just not like, they're not just going to take a rule, like a, like a board and just to cross off things every day. Like they're not just a task doer, but they're going to be a leader and they're going to be a free thinker and they're going to have divergent thinking and they're going to think of creative problem solving. So that person's going to come in and I use, you know, visionaries. I also affectionately like to call marketing leaders rainmakers because we have to make it rain. That's our responsibility. That's why I call them rainmakers. But rainmakers too, a really good rainmaker, a really, really good one is also an entrepreneur. You want them to flex their entrepreneurial spirit inside the playground, inside the walls of the company. So you have to give them that respect If you desire to not be the only person that stresses about making money at night. Yep. They have to have some buy-in and feel like they are. So how do you do that? Just allowing for decisions or I'm sure you've seen plenty of examples where, you know, everyone has the best of intentions. They feel like they're being helpful, Yes, but we've all had those bosses that are micromanaging and there's nothing that squashes your desire to go and do things outside of the box than that horrible micromanager. So you know, that's sort of an oversimplification, but how do you give people that agency? Here's my thing about micromanagement. I don't think any single human being on the planet wakes up and goes, mm, I'm going to be a great micromanager today. <laughs> like I desire to micromanage yes. nine to five. Like no one, no one wakes up that way. We micromanage out of a place of fear and lack of trust. Yeah. I'm worried this isn't getting done. I'm worried you're not thinking about this as much as I would be thinking about this. I'm worried that you're not taking care of my baby as much as I would have been taking care of my baby. You don't understand how to rock it the way that I like it to be rocked. You don't like you don't understand. Right. So if you're listening to this and you're like, ah, oh, I I don't trust my team, then you're a micromanager. And you feel like, I don't want to micromanage. Well, then you have to you kind of have to question your source of why you're feeling the way that you're feeling, right? 
But you're right. So let's talk about healthy boundaries because the shift from having to do everything to the shift of not having to do everything is really helpful if you know what your role should be versus what it shouldn't be. So something that I talk about in, I have a program called the Remaker Residency where I train and teach right marketers and visionaries how to like get along. (laughs) But one of the very first things that I cover is the fact that visionaries, your greatest responsibility with your business is why and where. Like your job above all other jobs is to determine where is this company and business going and why? Like why are we selling in a couple years? Are we scaling in a couple years? Are we 10xing our profit and all having lucrative lifestyles and like going on vacation to the Bahamas together? Where is this company going and specifically why? Because the why motivates the troops. Yes. Now, but a leader, like a rainmaker or an operations leader or a finance leader, anybody at that leadership level, their responsibility is not to determine where this company is going and why. They can certainly share an opinion or they can be a good sounding board for you. But ultimately, that's not their call. Right. Make no mistake. It's not your call. Your call and should be your call is how and who gets to do this. How do we get to that destination and who needs to be on the bus in order for that to be achieved? If you guys can understand just those rules alone, that I, as the business owner, determine where we're going and why, and I don't try to get into the who and how. And then also the rainmaker goes, okay, I honor where you want this business to go. And now I'm in charge of getting us there and bringing the the necessary people to that. Then we're already in a much better place to start. Yeah. So how do you, so you were describing the marketing, like coming back to like marketing specifically, you're describing the marketing person as having a a taste of that rainmaker and sorry, not the rainmaker, but the visionary piece yeah. of it. Yeah. So do they have both in their kind of personality or their work yes. ethic? And then if so, how do they balance that out so that they're not getting in the way? Well, the, the both component, the thing that they both share is ideation big time. Okay. Like that's where you're going to tell where they're, and that's quite frankly, when somebody goes, how do I know if I have a good rainmaker? One of the questions I like a litmus test almost is like, well, do you like geeking out with them on marketing stuff? Cause it's that it's that commonality of like, did you see that Super Bowl commercial? Yes. I want to like the gecko. We need a gecko. Where's our Taco Bell Chihuahua? Like <laughs> when they geek out on that kind of stuff, that's a really good starting place. Cause it's the ideation that fires them both up. Okay. However, let's be very clear. The Rainmaker has to be equally, if not stronger on the execution part. So yes, they can be very idea oriented, but I really need you to execute. That's your primary function. Yeah. Um, And that's what I mean. It's like, I really want them to geek out and have fun and do a really cool brainstorming session. And that's one hour of the week. And the rest of the time you're going off and making it happen. Okay. So they're kind of secondary ideation wise to the visionary for the company. So they kind of take that piece of their skills and their, their abilities and all that and put that underneath the yeah. the visionary. Well, I'll push back on that a little bit though, because if you think about it, if part of your execution is a really killer social media strategy, what makes a really killer social media strategy is really creative social media ideas. Right. So they're constantly flexing ideas. They're flexing ideas and really creative email copy, sales page copy, social media graphics. Like you're, they're constantly in a place of ideation. But what I'm talking about is the big, big ideas, like yeah. the big overarching ideas 
really should be certainly on the Walt Disney personality of the company, which is the leader, the founder. Okay. Um, so that's just a distinction that there's almost like layers of ideation too. Okay, sure. That makes sense. So let's say you've got this great marketing person yeah. and they have that great balance between ideation at sort of the campaign level and yeah. then the execution. Then how do you build out that team or how do you even begin to know what kind of a team you need? Ooh, ooh. Okay, great. <laughs> you asked such great questions. Thank you. <laughs> so listen. I'm not going, don't do what I did. Don't leave the corporate environment and then put everybody on W-2s and like you get a payroll and you get a payroll and you get a gym membership and then you're going to go broke. Don't do that. Yeah. Okay. So be care- like, I'm going to give you some counsel and some, I, you know, some general advice, Yeah. but also be respectful to where and what stage of business that you're at. Yes. Right. So if you're less than a million dollars, like I'm not telling you to build a 20 person marketing team. That's not smart. No. You're probably going to get along really well with having a whole bunch of savvy marketing doers. Yeah. Maybe not a head leader yet, but a whole bunch of savvy doers and maybe even a part-time project manager would probably get you pretty far. Yeah. But if you're really sincere and earnest about scaling your business to multiple seven figures, now we're going to need to put some more structure on this vehicle. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. My favorite structure to a marketing department in that arena, now we're getting into like the Coliseum kind of like, okay, it's no longer like a chicken fight in the backyard. Like we're in a bigger arena, right? I call it the marketing department trifecta. Not to give like weird signs, Illuminati signs here, but it's like <laughs> think of a triangle. <laughs> and it's really for me, the perfect marketing department is where you have a leader at the very tippity top who is that strategic thinker, who is the people manager and the department head. You then have a really, really savvy task delegator or project manager whose job is the conveyor belt, not the people. The job is to get the task done. The deadlines are like they wrangle deadlines. Yeah. They get things over the finish line on time, on budget. Yep. And then you have on the other side of that triangle, you have all these rock star doers and they're getting stuff done. Yep. And it's this trifecta of strategic thinking, task delegation, and execution at the highest level that to me is one of, if you're going to aspire for an epic marketing department, that would be the structure you're aspiring for. Yeah. That ties in, that was like a perfect lead up to this marketing co-counsel plan that we have where we come in and we offer that because if you're looking at that kind of, and this wasn't like set up to be an advertisement for that plan, but it, it just like lines up perfectly because if you are looking at what that involves budgetary wise mm. and team wise and everything, a lot of firms that are in that growth mode, they don't have the budget to hire what we're probably talking about, especially that top person at the top of the triangle, they don't yeah. have the budget for probably four to five full-time roles. Or maybe there's some of them that can be cross-worked on or whatever the word I'm looking for is. But you're, I mean, at the very minimum, you're looking at three people mm-hmm. and three strategic thinkers who are going to all approach these things in different ways, whereas we execute on all of those in one plan. So um, go to the website for more details. Like. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's it's a perfect um, kind of architecture where you start with the strategy at the top and mm-hmm. make sure that it's then got the supporting legs with both the, 
you know, I think a lot of people go straight to the doers and to get mm-hmm. it done. And then they get stuck in, in the weeds because they don't have mm-hmm. that middle person that's, you know, doing that, what you described as that conveyor belt and getting it done and following up. And it's so much work just to do that piece of it and make sure that everybody's doing their job and kind of doing all the babysitting and all of that. Well, stuff. think about it. Like you, a, a good launch for when I think about like a big marketing launch or a big marketing campaign, you're looking at anywhere between 500 to a thousand tasks. Yeah. You, yeah. you really want to be the one that's inside of a project management system looking at 500 to a thousand tasks. No. And then following up on every single right. one of them right. every single day. I mean, it's just right. pass. Hard yeah. pass. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So awesome. So then, so we've got the difference between that visionary, the rainmaker. Mm-hmm. What else do you need to make sure that this dream team, you know, you've got the triangle, the trifecta of the strategy, the getting things done and the doer. What else yeah. do you need to make sure that that team gets to the goals and gets to the success that that visionary has kind of set out? Okay. So there's like what this like quote that's like vision without execution is a hallucination or something. Like there's these all these really great quotes out there, but for me, winging your marketing calendar is a really bad idea. Like a really really bad idea. And I feel like sometimes because there's just so much going on, you're like flying by the seat of your pants. So a lot of marketing initiatives end up feeling like a drive-by, which is not a good place to be because it, and it's also terrible for company culture. I do not recommend that at all. Um, So a big part of what I teach is like having a really strategically laid out marketing calendar for the next four quarters. Not to say that the plan always goes according to plan because it doesn't. It doesn't. Hello. Life happens. Markets change. I even think about this. I I think about 2022 quarter one versus Q1 of 2020. Right. Exactly. Massively different. Right. right? (laughs) The buyer has completely changed. The marketplace has, I mean, last time I checked, we're in a war. Like there's a war happening in the world. Like there's a lot going on. Right. We're coming out of a pandemic. The ad cost is astronomical. There's a lot of stuff that has changed. So let's be clear that having a plan doesn't mean that your plan will go exactly to plan. However, not having a plan puts you always in a position of pivot, pivot, pivot. And it's cute for the for friends and the gifts of Ross Geller, but it's not cute for your business, (laughs) right? Exactly. And so I really push my rainmakers and my visionary duos to like set forth a 12 month calendar. Are we committing to one big marketing initiative a month? Right. Or a quarter? Ideally it's not a month, (laughs) like it's a quarter, right? Are we doing both the front side where our audience and prospects can see the activity? Or are we also baking into our calendar those 1% company improvements? Because we haven't touched our website in five years. It's time. Right. We haven't touched our email sequences that are nurturing people behind the scenes in a really long time. It has our old logo, for heaven's sakes. Like, there's so much going on that there's new stuff, but there's also the main- maintaining and improving stuff. Yes. And you need yes. space for both if you're going to require it from the same department. That is so fun. So the marketing co-counsel, <laughs> that it sets out a year's plan. And then we set quarterly goals. And so each month we meet, we look at the results and we say, okay, what's happening? 
And you can't necessarily know what's going to happen in the world in relation to your campaigns. And so, I mean, like you said, if you had set out a a year's plan, like third quarter of or fourth quarter of 2019, and you said, okay, here we go, 2020, we are going to do, we are going to go to all these events. We're going to show up at all these bar association things. And we're going to, right, exactly. But that plan would have at least been tied to some kind of a strategy. There was some reason why you made that plan. So now when you have those monthly or quarterly meetings, it's like, okay, so there's this pandemic. <laughs> and so <laughs> now there's the thing. Yeah, <laughs> it has kind of hit all of us. And yeah. so what we were going to try to do is XYZ. And so now how do we pivot based on that, but still try to achieve some level of a, a goal that's that's yeah. reasonable? And then even for our clients, we see that we are seeing certain success in a certain direction. So certain blog posts are doing really good. Certain They had a certain success in a certain kind of case. So we really, in one quarter, want to milk whatever that thing is. And so now all of a sudden we realize, okay, that's the goal for that quarter, but it's for a quarter. We are not going to mm-hmm. just like, you know, all of a sudden get like shiny object syndrome and be attracted to some crazy idea that we see on TikTok. And then all of a sudden it derails every other marketing campaign. So that's (laughs) exactly... TikTok has been such a wonder for marketing campaigns, hasn't it? Gosh, I feel like every marketer right now is like TikTok. Yes, <laughs> like exactly. It's the new it's the new it was remember when it was Clubhouse and everybody wanted to get on Clubhouse? Like yes. it's just there's always something. And to your point, if you're like, I know Q1 is good, Q1 right. is baked. Yep. If we want to do the tick to the talk, we can put it in another quarter where they're still <laughs> like the last thing that you want to do to somebody who is very idea oriented is to stifle it. You don't want to really bring an umbrella to the brainstorm because it hurts them. Yes. And, and it's a feel it's like almost like lost aversion. If we don't, well, if you say no to this now, then I will never have it again. It's like, no, 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 no. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Actually, we have a calendar. We have a roadmap for very specific reasons. We can certainly put it in there. It's just not now. Right. right Exactly. We're going to make a plan for it. And there's going to be a reason. We're going to figure out how to, you know, measure it. And all of these things don't happen overnight. So we need to do it in a a smart way. Well, and speaking of TikTok, just if anybody was curious, if you want to be successful, you blitz the crap out of it. So if you're going to do it, you do like you post four times a day for like two weeks in a row. That takes an enormous amount of production ahead a time. Yep. You cannot wing it to be successful on certain platforms and channels. Right. So that's just to give you an idea, like there's an idea, but then there's the prep and production before the idea sees the light of day. Yeah. And you have to give a team space to do that well. Right. And then also to kind of back up to Clubhouse as well, there, oh, yeah. you know, there's so many people that just threw all their eggs in one basket with Clubhouse. Ooh. And that was sort of the pandemic special for social media (laughs) that has kind of really just disappeared. And do you know why I never liked Clubhouse though? Why? Because you couldn't ever save or repurpose all that amazing content. That is such a good point. Like that was really frustrating for me because it's like you're gonna go and you're gonna pour all these things into this platform and then the decay rate. It's almost like a tweet. Like the decay rate was so bad. I was like, oh no, like this is, oh yeah. But even with tweets. I see a lot of people who have great stuff on Twitter and they're repurposing it on Instagram. And so they Fair. even have that. And so I think that is such a good point about Clubhouse because in order to get people to your you know, little Clubhouse room mm-hmm, or whatever mm-hmm. those things were called, you had to 
take, if you had an audience on a different platform, you had to then cross promote mm-hmm. it. Like that was mm-hmm. the only way it was going to work. And they, they made that impossible. So mm-hmm. yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't great. And it just seems like it's, you don't hear anybody talking about it anymore. Well, we all learned, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Especially those people who were like all in and that I was, know. you know, I feel kind of sad for them. I but. <laughs> but, well, I think again, there's the fear of like, we all missed the Instagram wave, like, damn, yes. it, we've done Instagram. So I think everybody's just like, we learned our lessons. So then when the clubhouse comes out or the TikTok, like when these are like, I'll be damned if I, I should have jumped on Bitcoin then, yes. you know, yes. it's with those moments where you're like, I, I won't repeat that mistake right. again. But then you also, you have to have some level of risk tolerance because it could also be not fruitful and that's okay. You just, ha- it's like playing the stock. You just have exactly. to ha- know your level of tolerance. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh, it's such a good analogy to the stock market to social media because there is so much loss of time and effort and everything in both. <laughs> and kind of like gambling. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And uh Clubhouse, I'm trying to think of a good stock that would be equate to Clubhouse, but it like had such a big spike and then it's just sort of gone. Uh, the dot com <laughs> bubble. Yeah, right. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> All of those weird um dot coms that were so yeah. huge that you we can't even think of the names anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Napster. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. That like, like, what is it? My space. Like, they're just like, brings me back. Stop it. Right. I feel right. old all of a sudden. Yeah, I know. All right. So to step back and make us feel young for a moment. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually this won't because we're talking about books, which. <laughs> so tell us what book you have to recommend. I know you've got a great title. Yeah, well, I like to read a lot. I also am a marketing nerd, so I I watch the Super Bowl for the commercials more than the game and Same. the halftime. Let's yeah. all, very, very clear the halftime yeah. show. The um, halftime show and the snacks and the commercials. 100%. <laughs> all the avocados. Yes. Um, but I have read a book very recently. I mean, there's always the classics, but this book came out this year. So this is a pretty, If hey, I get credit for being fresh. Um, there's a book, and it's literally on my floor because I was quoting it yesterday on a phone call. It's by Alex Harmozy, and it's called $100 Million Offers, How to Make Offers So Good People Feel Stupid Saying No. Oh, he I doesn't love even that. Know, he doesn't even know I exist. It, I, there's literally no connection. I'm genuinely giving you this recommendation because I've read the book three times already, and nice. I like it that much. Oh, that's awesome. That sounds so good. And it's something that I know a lot of my clients struggle with, that call to action. Like how do you, they feel like it should, first of all, a lot of lawyers don't even want to call it a sales process. And then that call to action piece of it, they don't want to be an ambulance chaser. They don't want to feel like they're being salesy. But at the same time, if you're not pulling that, that you know, user through your experience, you're going to yeah. lose out at the same time. So, well, do you know what's interesting about lawyers? Because I, I was telling you earlier that I, I had a digital marketing agency in South Florida. And so we worked a lot with a lot of lawyers, a lot of franchises. So if you know that you're a part of an industry where there's very little differentiation between you and someone else, yeah, it puts more pressure on you to differentiate your offer. Yes. Like if you're a dentist, get in line. If you're a lawyer, get in line. Like, unfortunately, the title doesn't differentiate you immediately. Right. So what differentiates you is how you package your offer. And this book really goes into some really beautiful detail about the offer. The examples they use is gyms, which again, a gym is a gym. Right. And he, and he shows how he differentiates this epic, 
you know, grand slam offer on a gym that you could certainly apply to your legal profession as well, no doubt. Nice. Oh, that sounds that sounds fantastic. I'm going to go bookmark that on Amazon right now. Um, So what's big one big takeaway that you want listeners to kind of get from this episode? You don't have to compete with your marketer. Oh, I love that. You don't have to do that. I don't have to compete with my children. We're on the same team. I too would love for visionaries and, and rainmakers to understand that they are certainly on the same side. Their ideas can coexist. And you can trust you. It really is possible. I'm not saying that people development is not a skill. And if that's not your zone of genius, come talk to me. Yeah. But the rainmaker really a great rainmaker that's developed correctly really can execute better than you can. I yeah. see it every day. Don't think it's not possible. Don't tell yourself that false narrative. Yeah, absolutely. And I just know in my own experience, being on the marketer side of it, when I have someone who clearly doesn't believe in me or it's just not going well, I'm much Mm -hmm. less willing to go those extra steps. But when I have that client who we've got that connection, they trust me and I am going to do everything under the sun to make sure that we're both successful. I mean, it makes sense. We're like you said, we're all on the same team. And so um, you know, if you think about it that way, and t- instead of the competition, it makes so much more sense. <laughs> well, yeah, poor marketers. Like I get, listen, there's some really, there's some snakes out there. I'm not going to exactly. lie. Like, I, I reckon I've, I've seen the burn. Yep. Um, I've seen the pain, but I think the attitude in the marketing space is like, you're guilty until proven innocent, especially with vendors and service providers. Yeah. Oh, I got that all the time as an agency owner and it really sucked. Yeah. <laughs> like I promise I'm one of the good ones. <laughs> But, but if you can challenge yourself to be innocent until proven guilty, you'll actually be surprised how much more you'll get out of someone who knows that you believe in their success. Yes. Oh, that's so good. Veronica Romney is a dream team architect. And thank you so much. This is such a good episode. I feel like there's just a million little quotes and takeaways that people are going to get from this. Um, So we will link to all of the good resources, the book and your website and your program uh, on the show page. But thank you so much for being here. That was awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CouncilCast podcast. Be sure to visit our website at council-cast.com for the resources mentioned on the episode and to give us your feedback. If you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate if you could rate and review the podcast on Apple and subscribe to your favorite podcast platform. See you on the next one.